Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. A retreat reading is a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Nagata Fenawa of Tafanganuya Taro where I'm recording today. It has been a big week. I feel like everything is happening so much. Yeah, it's just a lot. It's a lot. A lot is going on. Anything good? Has anything sparked joy for you? What sparked joy? I mean, it sparked joy that I managed to make it to Friday. That was quite joyful that I got to have a weekend. Yay. But the weekend has just been insanely busy. So that's also stressful. But, you know, my friend Meredith had a party last night. It was 80s themed and that was quite fun. We got our makeup done. So it was like extra 80s. Yeah, and it was just like quite nice just to catch up with people, do some dancing, get dressed up, pretend to be in an 80s school prom, which of course I was three before the 80s ended, so I don't have much experience <laughs> with it. Um, yeah, it was fun. How about you? What sparked joy for you this week? Well, I had a pretty great weekend, but it would be hard not to. We got our little puppy this weekend. Yay! So little Bellamy Boo has come to live with us and she is, yes, named Bella and Bellamy because why name a pet after one fandom when you could name a pet after two? Mm-hmm. And she's just so chill. I did ask, I was like, I want the chillest dog. I prefer a girl, but if you have a chiller boy, I will take, like, I just want the chillest dog and she is very chill. Of course, she's a little bit sooky at the moment because it's her first time away from the farm and her brothers and sisters and she's like gotta deal with like the other animals in the house and then there are kids but I mean she's actually been just so great yeah it's, it's just I had a weird moment where like I've always been like yeah yeah dogs are great dogs are great and I'm getting this dog for my kids but I looked at her and I was like oh I just really needed the same kind of dog that I had growing up I think because she, I just looked in her face and I was like oh you just look like you, a dog should look and I had a golden retriever growing up, so I think that was, like, I'd always kind of held myself apart. Like, no, no dog was going to be as good as my dog growing up. And so it's kind of nice to have gone past that a little bit, I guess. But she's just beautiful. I'm just so smitten with her. She's so fluffy, and she smells like a dog should smell, and oh, it's just really good. Puppy smells the best, I have to say. Yeah, and having had a cat who's just smaller and pointier in every way for so long, it's like, this dog is so big and floppy, <laughs> like... There's so much mass to her. Mm. It's been a fun change, but the kids have really taken to it. And my daughter's really loving, oh, can I take her outside for a wee? Yeah, you can take her outside for a wee. Okay, mom. Like, she's really getting into it. And my son is just excited. Like, oh, come here, Bella. Look at this. Look, I drew a picture of you. It's just, it's really great. Yeah. So everyone's pretty chuffed. Even, even my husband, who is very cautious about inviting new pets into the household normally, he's like pretty happy. It's been a great weekend for us. I can't wait till you can come snuggler. I know. I snuggled a puppy today. It was quite lovely. (gasps) Yay. The best. Was it Meg? No, it wasn't Meg. I didn't see Meg at all. Uh, it was oh. Charlie, my friend Hannah's dog, who oh. was just over a year old. It's just beautiful. Just had a haircut oh. on Friday, so it was like freshly shorn. I love that. Like a little lamb. Oh, well, thanks for letting me rabbit on about this puppy forever. Um, oh, of course. 
we should get to the the non-puppy part of the podcast uh this week we're reading chapters 48 through 53 through the theme of revenge uh did you have a story in the theme of revenge jen yeah so revenge is an interesting one i think we all harbor delusions of revenge i'm gonna call it you know when something happens Mm. and you start to envision all the ways in which you will be rightened and you will be righteous and you will get you know the vindication that you deserve and yeah just sit there thinking about it but so few of us ever really get to enact any sort of revenge it's never like the dramatic event you envision in the shower we're usually in the shower where you come up with these things right (laughs) where you remember the perfect comeback or the perfect thing you should have said and how that could play out or you're driving away from the thing and you're like oh my gosh I should have done this and this is what I'm going to do the next time I see person and that'll show them but we very very (laughs) rarely do any of that um, yeah. And it made me think of one situation where there is a weird way that women in particular try to enact this revenge. And I was thinking of my a friend of mine who I used to work with and how, you know, she went through this very messy breakup with a guy who was cheating on her. And then she had this wedding coming up that he was going to be at and he was going to attend as a guest and she was attending as a guest. And so she went through this like really intense fitness regime you know she was working out she was eating well you know she was hot anyway but she was getting like extra fit and extra hot because she wanted to wear this particular dress and it's the idea of the revenge body right yeah so you are gonna be so hot that when he lays eyes on you he is going to regret all of his life choices that led to him not being with you anymore yeah i think we all think about the revenge body sometimes Yeah, and so she did this whole thing. And of course, she, you know, she was the hottest she's ever been. And she felt amazing. And she looked amazing. And she went to this wedding. And of course, it's not like anything happened. She didn't interact with this guy. She was just like, yeah, look at me. Look how amazing I am. I'm untouchable, unknowable to you, right? Like, I'm this thing that you messed up your chance with me. And I think she did feel great in herself. But whether or not that had any impact on him, is hard to say when you don't actually know what another person's thoughts or feelings are. And it made me laugh because I similarly had a thing where, you know, I came back from when I was overseas and I lost a bunch of weight and I got really fit and so that the next time I went back I was like the hottest version of myself and this idea that you can show everyone else you're essentially saying to them look how great I'm doing without you I am thriving I am the best version of myself and you have nothing to do with it you have no say and no power over me and I, I think that is one way that people have a tangible feeling of revenge and it's not really revenge in the way that we think about it as like ruining someone's life but it's that satisfaction like back in ye olde days when they had duels and it was like you will grant me satisfaction this is the way yeah. that people get satisfaction by these tiny little things <laughs> yeah. um, but satisfaction can mean many things it can just be satisfaction with yourself and it's less about making that person maybe look at you and think you know oh there, there goes what I could have had and it's just feeling yeah. like your best self because they made you feel like your worst self I guess in a way Yeah. so yeah it was just an interesting way for me to think about revenge that is interesting I don't think I've ever done that although I'm sure that I thought about it a lot you always want to come off as doing really well post breakup right it's kind of that thing where they say revenge is a you know a life well lived the best revenge is living well but then i think back to what was it paper towns that john green book where she put a a fish under the seat of someone's car and squashed it and was like this is what you get when you cheat on me and i'm like no that's revenge this was i mean yeah it's the (laughs) carrie underwood song you know it's like taking a baseball bat to someone's car and like keying cheater in the back of the the door or whatever yeah yeah, like that's what you that's what we all want to do but we don't often do it 
the repercussions of that, I guess, is just too tangible Illegal. in a way. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like that whole thing about, you know, drink, revenge is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, right? Like, if you do yeah. something like that, you're just making yourself feel worse. But in a way, I mean, the revenge body can be a bit toxic because it buys into that whole thinness sort of culture, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. It's also just making yourself the elite version of who you want to be. And that could be quite a positive take on revenge. Yeah, and honestly, from someone who dislikes exercise immensely and yet is a runner, it works it makes you feel better like I hate saying it I don't look if you're having struggles I'm not saying don't go and talk to a psychologist and a psychiatrist and your GP like definitely do that but also walking helps running helps so I think a lot of the times you're you're doing that and you're sort of like yeah I feel great but are you feeling great because you're getting this revenge body or are you feeling great because exercise makes you happy you really do have all these endorphins and like you do feel great when you exercise even if it's the worst thing ever which it often is so yeah there's like it's just a positive thing to like do something for yourself and it's definitely better than the like crying lying in bed eating chocolates and throwing them at the television thing yeah i kind of like the idea of weaponizing revenge into something positive as well like the idea that you can circumvent it and use it to i mean counter monte cristo (laughs) revenge right like or even great gatsby in a way trying to build your own life up so i don't know i mean that's taking it to the wrong conclusion but you know what i mean like there has to be a way to positively harness that impulse to give someone their comeuppance does it count as revenge if they don't care like if whoever you're aiming to impress or to i don't know show up if they don't care or if they're genuinely happy for you does have you gotten revenge and on the other side of that what if they do care but you don't care is that not better revenge I think that's the ultimate right like the one where they are really really wrapped up in how they feel about and they feel really horrible about your success or whatever and you just don't even think about it's the madman reference like I don't think about you at all like that is the goal Mm. you want to live rent free in someone else's mind someone who has hurt you that is where you want to get to it's like um the Taylor Swift song you know I forgot you existed that is ultimately where you want to get to but I do think even if that person doesn't care about you and you've like gotten revenge on them if you think they care then it's still scratching the itch in you and that's what matters. So yeah, that revenge still counts because you're the one who wants revenge. (laughs) That's a a really great metric. And I I like reframing the idea of the revenge body as something you do for yourself, which is really important because all bodies are good bodies. They're where we live, but you should definitely feel happier and more comfortable in yourself. Yeah. Oh, should I do our chapter summaries? Yes, please. Blue takes the Camaro wheel and the shield boss to Kala for psychometry. Blue and Adam have a hard conversation. She tells him he's not her true love, and it's rough, but he doesn't give in to his anger. Persephone pulls Adam into the reading room to help balance his cape's water bargain with the trauma inside of him. It's painful, but he's himself again, only different. Blue asks Gansey to spirit her away for a time. They both want something more, and they share a not-kiss, but they agree that whatever they're feeling, they can't do that to Adam. Ronan dreams about the Barnes and his father, and he angers Kavinsky by not rising to his bait. Meanwhile, Green Mantle decides to threaten revenge on the Grey Man, digging into his past and chatting with his brother. Blue and Mora decide that tears do not become them, but action does. It's a real crux of Act 2 going on here. Yeah, and I mean, like, that whole thing about them being women of action is such a foreshadowing for Mora leaving at the end of this book, I think. You know, she really takes the action and we get get that seed now. In terms of revenge, I thought, obviously, I think the most obvious revenge here is the most traditional revenge here is Green Mantle and the way that he reacts to the grey man not doing what he wants to do. This is a man who's used to, like, vengeance and making other people do what he wants, right? He wants to get what he wants. Like, he doesn't want to wait for it or bargain for it he he wants to be the one who gets all of the things 
Hmm. And he's used to getting all of the things. So when he doesn't, he gets really petty. And that's what's happening here. Yeah. But it is weird. It it just feels like with with the talk of all the break-ins, like we know that there are lots of people looking for the Grey Warren. But nobody actually knows what the Grey Warren is except for the Grey Man, who knows it's a person, right? Hmm. There's just this huge hunt going on for something no one knows the shape of, really. And he's so angry that he isn't getting it. And other people, maybe he sent some of them? I think he might have sent some of them to yeah. find them. Like, the, like he's just increasingly desperate. And I wonder if that revenge is more about the petty need to strike back or, like, to punish someone or to feel in control of a situation. I always want to know the motivations behind the revenge. I always think it's because, you know, the gray man has turned him down, have has, like, told him he's not interested in pursuing this, this thing anymore. And Green Mantle can't handle that. So for him to have his... Like, to have the upper hand, he has to maintain the upper hand. So to do that, he has to take revenge on the the grey man. And the way he does that is by finding out who he is and finding his weakness and finding his brother, right? But the grey man is so disinterested in engaging with this in a way because he... I saw so many parallels between him and Adam. You know, both victims of their trauma, both trying to run from it, both of them becoming unknowable, right? Like, that's both what they're trying to do. Like, the grey man wants to be no one. He wants to leave his past behind the same as what Adam wants to do. And neither really being able to do that. But it doesn't seem like the grey man wants revenge on his brother. He's not really motivated by that. And it's the same way with Adam. Like, Adam doesn't really want revenge on his father. It's not something that he he dwells on. No, I think you're right. I did wonder, and I kind of wanted to posit this as an idea. Do you think we could look at Adam's anger, the way he forces himself to control it and dismantle it, to not unleash his anger? Do you think we could look at it through the lens of, like, revenge on his father's legacy? Yeah, to be like, I'm not going to be like you. This is the way I'm not going to not gonna buy into what you made me or what you want for me. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought it was a very clear example of connection. Yeah, no, I really love that. Like, I mean, on page 346, it's he's in slow motion. He can imagine the swing of his hand. No, no, he'd done this before with her and he wasn't doing it again. And then you skip forward a bit to where he's actually in the reading room with Persephone. And the moment, like the first moment that he has to go into and confront is the first time he was hit by his father on page 353 this lived in him this punch the first time his father had ever hit him it was always being thrown somewhere in his head and I just think that that is a huge thing to carry around and have to deal with and he's he's like objectively able to say yes these horrible things have happened to me but in the way that it's described in the book he's like living it always which is the way that trauma works right like those memories if you've got post-traumatic stress or things like that you live those memories over and over again you haven't processed them therefore they're always live in your brain they're always there for you to just fall into so that's why you react to them that's why events are triggering because they are still happening you haven't processed them so you still feel them as if they're happening right now yeah ouch yeah i love that adam was making a conscious decision to not give into it and to not do that to blue even though he was really angry with blue i also like that blue recognized that in him like when she thinks about it later she talks about how he so gently pressed his fist to the wall yeah it's a beautiful image despite the repressed violence in it i suppose or because of it maybe well and it's coiled like the way he's coiled in tension harkens back to when we see Kavinsky and Ronan and the way Ronan hasn't like changed or said anything in that first instance at Nino's but like he's entirely tense and angry like it's a really similar thing like here's someone or here's an event that is just making them not up 
And another parallel between Rona and Kavinsky is, you know, when Blue says it's not going to be me and you, mm. it was never going to be you and me or whatever. The same with Ronan and Kavinsky. I was just like, okay, yeah. I thought about wanting to hurt someone as a revenge thing. So Blue is so bitter about being left out and we get that a lot here. You know, when she's lugging that wheel around yeah. and she's taking it to Kala <laughs> and she's like, where's the rest of the Kamara? Having fun, having a great old time without me, you know? Yeah. And so there's a little bit of bitterness there. She has a crack at Adam about like, you only care about this from me if I was at, like if I was Ronan, if I was Noah we would be having a different conversation because she wants to be she wants that connection she wants to be part of the game yeah, yeah absolutely and so there is like a simmering anger in that I think and then Adam just so desperately wants to be the chosen one like he wants to be someone's first choice yeah. right and he feels like she's not doing that she's not being truthful to him and so they both come to this conversation with these hurts that are not really related to each other and they use that anger against each other which is a I think a form of vengeance because you like sometimes say things to people you want them to hurt you want to hurt them yeah so that they hurt the same way that you do and I love that line from Adam on page 334 it was worse to be the only angry person sometimes you just need the other person to be as angry as you are (laughs) yeah I mean, that was what was making Blue so crazy when Ronan wasn't rising to her level of irritation earlier in the book, too. He was, like, very calm, and she was like, why are you not fighting about this? I'm angry. You should be angry. And he's just like, nah. I saw a very strong parallel between Blue, Ronan, and Adam in this section. Like, the way they both, like, all three of them kind of harness their anger and also the way they hurt. So when Blue says on page 360, both incapable of opening it up without cutting someone, when she's talking about the switchblade, you can apply that to Adam, you can apply that to Ronan. It's the same, same, same. Yeah, absolutely. That did make me laugh, though. I was like, Blue, stop being so dramatic. Oh my goodness. She does feel badly about hurting Adam. And later when she's you know with Gansey and they're looking down at Henrietta and they're both feeling that like something more they both want something more she's like I I dated the wrong person I destroyed Adam for no reason and I don't think she did and I think that Adam would have been fragile and miserable even if they had never been romantic I I do wonder if Gansey might think that or, or you know Blue might think that Adam would consider it like a a revenge if they were together as well like I wondered if that might be something they worry about like I know they're worried about Adam being hurt and they ultimately decide that like nothing will happen even though nothing could happen they can't even kiss but they sort of say we're gonna pretend that we had a kiss and then we're never gonna speak of it again and I wonder if part of that is because they don't want Adam thinking that it was done to hurt them done to hurt him rather I wonder if Gansey's reluctance isn't more from the fact that Adam already resents him for everything that he has and he knows that if he takes blue as well you know it's just yet another example of the life that Gansey lives the life that Adam wants that is unattainable to him and that that conversation they had the fight they had in DC where he said I got into Aglenby without you I got blue without you and blue always pushes back you know even in this section she says I'm not a thing to have it's really interesting the way that Adam wants to be with blue is very similar to I don't know it's not the genuine connection I think it's interesting to me because it's like both of them both blue with Adam and Adam with blue it's that thing where you want you want to be with someone for who you think they are and they're not really that person yeah but you just so desperately want them to be that person yeah and I think what is striking about that is when blue is with Gansey when Adam is with Ronan they're seen at the level at which they are they're met exactly where they are and that is ultimately how you build long-lasting connections it's not yeah striving it's not like rising to be who you think someone needs you to be it's being able to be yourself yeah you don't have to um put on a mask all the time what's that movie is it bridesmaids where she's dating don draper and she like gets up every morning after they spend the night together and like puts her makeup on and gets back Mm. into bed with her pretty undies on and i'm like 
that's a lot of work. But she has this idea like she needs to pretend for him. But then she meets the guy from the IT crowd and she doesn't have to be as careful with him. Like she can just be kind of more like her own messy cupcake baking self. It's a similar thing, right? Like you're aspirational. And just in terms of connection, like the whole entire thing where Blue knows what to do with Gansey. She knows where to put her hands. She knows how she wants to touch him. It's not something she has to sit and think about. Her body just does it. Like that is so powerful to me because I'm a very instinct-led person and I understand when you feel drawn to someone and you already feel comfortable with them. Like that is so valuable. That is so valuable. Yeah. That bridesmaid example is just kind of like an indictment on the patriarchy though, isn't it? Because <laughs> yeah, that kind of sure. that sort of self-esteem, that sort of performative and not even the fact that she, you know, she was doing it, but the fact that she was sort of expected to, the fact that you feel like you can't be who you are, is because men have been conditioned that women are not real people and they will be perfect and yeah. they will do all these things. So a lot of women feel like they have to. They have to always be performing can never be actual human beings because no one wants that, right? So Yeah, it's the guys who do the take her swimming on a first date. Like, you know, some women will go their whole lives, like their husbands will never see any body hair on them. Like It just feels weird that intimacy is something that you still have to learn with people. And I get that it is, but I feel like in this case, with Blue and Gansey, they just already have that intimacy baked in. They know and they accept each other. And even when they're not arguing in good faith, they can reach the other person, which I think speaks to their connection. Like she's getting right up in his in his business about, I'm rich, I'm rich. And he goes, this isn't what I mean. You know that I'm, I'm saying something real here. You just have to follow me through it. And she's like, okay, I'll follow you through it. Like he gets her to calm down when normally she would be hackles raised ready to call him out on his nonsense but he is able to actually communicate with her and I think that that's something Gansey really struggles with 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 Adam he doesn't feel like he can ever get through to Adam but Blue will listen and give him a chance yeah I don't know I just love their connection um I wanted to ask you do you think that Adam asking for a kiss after Blue has said that he's not her true love do you think that might be like a a subtle act of revenge like a little way of hurting her or like proving even hurting himself maybe like well then prove it I think that is yeah that's more like a that read to me more as a self-flagellation thing like as a a little bit of self-harm thing it's kind of just like Adam's internalized worthlessness coming to the surface in a way being like if I'm nothing prove it you know because he's nothing to everyone that's how he feels but he's so much um, to everyone. <laughs> and when she says, I don't want to hurt you. And I'm like, that's kind of irrelevant. You've already done the hurting for yeah. you to stand there and say, I don't want to hurt you. People always say that during breakups as well. Being like, I don't want to hurt you. The very act that we're having this conversation is an act of hurting someone. It's pointless to say that. Like, it's just, it's irrelevant what you want in that moment. No, it's not pointless. It's not pointless because it indicates that it's not vindictiveness. It's not unkindness. It's I don't think it's pointless to say I don't want to hurt you, even if you are actively hurting someone because you are separating. I think it's important to say, I care about you, but this isn't working. And I really don't want to hurt you, but like this isn't working. It, it you know, the hurt, it doesn't say that the hurt's not inevitable, but. But she's already been vindictive in this situation. She's already lashed out in anger. And now she's coming in with like, I don't want to hurt you. It's kind of like horses already bolted. Yeah. If she had opened with that, that would be different. But this is coming in halfway through the argument. Yeah, I mean. During a breakup, I would stick to my original read of that. But with Blue, I think that it is more like politely saying no. Like, it's the I have a boyfriend when someone tries to get your number at the bar. Like, that's what she's doing. Because then she has to say, I don't want to kiss you, which is actually worse. That's also what he wants, though. That's what he wants to hear. That's what he's pushing for. 
It's like the Caroline Bingley thing, like when she's picking at Darcy and like saying all those horrible things about Lizzie Bennet. And then finally he's like, I still think she's one of the most beautiful and accomplished women I've ever known. And like she's backed him into saying this and it only makes herself feel worse. That's what Adam is doing right there. He's Caroline Bingleying yeah. it. Because it's self-harm. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. I'm so glad that he gets this time with Persephone, though. I have, I do have a lot of questions about this. I, I wonder if his connection to Cabeswater is kind of allegorical to where he fits into the group, right? But I couldn't really piece it out. What do you mean? Like, he's placing so much emphasis on keeping everything separated, right? And not fully surrendering to being part of something. I kept thinking about it, and I'm like, he's struggling because it's like it's the same struggle he has with Caveswater that he has in his friend group, in the gangsy, and I just couldn't parse it out. So I would love your insight on that if you have any. I think he just wants to, He, you know, he just fundamentally believes the only person he can trust is himself, like mm. as he says on page 349. But in the end, all he had was this, Adam Parrish, right? Mm. He is unknowable, even to himself. Like, I thought it was so telling when he's talking to Persephone about the scrying and where you go when you do it. And she says on page 351, someplace very far away, inside you. Because that is the furthest he can go. Like, he never ventures in there. He doesn't, like, he talks about being a noble, but he doesn't actually want to know himself. He's quite scared of plumbing those depths, right? Like, it's quite, I think it's quite alarming for him as the furthest he can go. And the fact that he then goes into this knowing that he's standing on his own. In a way, it brings him comfort knowing that no one else can help him. Like, she says, inside yourself, there's only you who can help you. Because he already believes that. That is already a a truth that he holds within himself, which kind of gives him strength in this world. And he needs to believe that there's something he can hold on to. So the fact that Persephone said you did not, you did not, you know, bargain away your thoughts. So that is something that he can keep and that is just his. Because he needs to have something that is just his. Because for him, his autonomy is so important. So yes, he has given away a lot of his autonomy, but this is something that he can still hold. Yeah. And he just needs to, he needs to, he has like fundamentally such a lack of connection. Like he struggles to connect with people and, and he struggles to connect with Cabe's water as well. Yeah. So I think this is a really big moment for him to realize that, yes, I can connect and yes, I am different. Like it doesn't mean that I lose a part of myself just by, by fulfilling this other requirement. Yeah. That makes sense. Thank you. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't tease out how it fit together in a way that made sense. I feel like I understand it in my heart, but the words weren't coming. I really love that whole bit. I just, I love everything about him going through the layers into Cave's water, into himself. That moment where he's like, I'm just a, you know, a wall on the fingerprint of a greater being. Yeah. And living inside Cave's water and like meeting Orphan Girl and all these things. Is that Orphan Girl? Do you think that that's really her? Well, I feel like it's a version of her. Yeah. Okay. Because I was like, if time is circular and later... Persephone disappears into it. And this is very like Persephone, but twisted. Yeah. Is this maybe future Persephone? Or maybe this is past Persephone who did apparently the same thing. As she, she speaks to Adam as if it's something that like she's experienced too. Yeah, and that connection between them I think is also so important. You know, to be to be a part of something but be separate, which is what yeah. Adam's whole deal is. And for her to say, you know, that I won't understand they didn't when I came back. I, I just like the idea of there being a little bit of Persephone and Orphan Girl and Orphan Girl and Persephone. Like this kind yeah. of psychopomp situation that you need to understand this other world. Because she is acting as a psychopomp a pomp for Adam right in this moment helping him understand and harness his powers yeah I've always thought that she and Orphan Girl were very similar so Mm. it seems too coincidental that they're both like tiny and always wearing boots and they have this like hair this cloud of hair and there's this sort of quiet but chaotic energy around them I don't know so do you think that Adam has decided that Blue is girlfriend and not friend and that 
and that that's part of his disappointment do you think that she's arguing that genuinely or is she just upset in general i think she's just upset in general because of her she doesn't feel part of the group right we've seen this throughout this novel she doesn't really feel like she's in properly yeah and maybe she thought that being in with adam would mean that she has greater connection but i don't think adam thinks like that you know when he says there would be no reason for you to be there so why would it even enter his mind to invite her to this thing yeah because gansey invited him and this is just like i don't know it occupies a different space and i actually am with him with that i would not have thought if i was in his shoes i would not have invited her it wouldn't also would not have crossed my mind to be like hey girlfriend do you want to come to this rando event in dc yeah i wondered about that but i think she's right that you know it's really frustrating when he comes back and instead of talking about the fact that he disappeared and that everyone was worried about him and all these things which he went over there to talk about yeah he went to get advice and the first thing he says and then he's sitting there thinking i'm gonna tell her that gansy's wrong but then the first thing he says is why won't you kiss me and don't lie to me because it's been bugging him for ages. Yeah, and he's just at that point where he needs to say something. Yeah, like that punch that was just living in his head. Probably the rejection's been living in his head as well, you know? Oh, absolutely. And he was not able to reframe it either. Like, he was thinking about it and trying to call back every other instance and, like, trying to decide how true it was. Like, he was interrogating it, analyzing it, even in that moment, even in that great hurt. Yeah. But I do think that there is... I think she's not wrong that he doesn't view her as a friend-friend. I think there is definitely something slightly proprietary about the way that he treats her or views her that she's picked up on and doesn't like because she, as you say, wants to be part of the group. She just doesn't want to be the girlfriend that becomes friends. She wants to be a friend first. Yeah. So I think that's how I read it as being like, she wants to be a friend. And I totally get that. I love that. But I think that's also why she doesn't want to be in a relationship with him. It's part of the whole thing. Hmm. She doesn't want to be his girlfriend. She doesn't even know him. And she says that. She says, I don't even know you. Which is weird because they've spent plenty of time together. But he doesn't volunteer anything ever, does he? No. he's not. He doesn't even know who he is. How can he present her with something that she could see? you know as being true and real he's just so careful it's like seeing a house like it looks one way on the outside but you have no idea of knowing what it looks like on the inside if you never get in the door no and he doesn't want to look yeah he, he doesn't, doesn't want to see himself he doesn't so, want to yeah. get in the door <laughs> exactly just exist there not looking just eyes closed do not perceive me <laughs> yeah. i am the forest um, I kind of loved reading a couple of things as like a description of revenge. So on page 339, when Blue gets given the switchblade, she mm. talks about being uncomfortable with it. And she says, although she very much liked the idea of it, I think that applies to revenge. We all like the idea of it. The practicalities yeah. of it probably is a bit beyond all of us, but Lord knows we love to fantasize about it. True. And then on page 340 when Keller's talking about time and she says you know time's circular we use the same parts of it over and over again and then she says I said time was circular I didn't say memories were and I thought that's how revenge works as well because we sort of just dwell on it and we just go over it again and again and again and it doesn't really matter what the memory is if the situation changes you sort of just latch onto this idea of revenge and how that executes in your mind and you just keep reliving it over and over again I love that reading of that that's great I actually really struggled with finding a lot of revenge even though we have the very obvious green mantle and the incoming obvious uh, Kavinsky revenge Mm. I did want to talk about a little bit that Ronan was courting it just by not like he's not respecting and he did look he doesn't you don't owe anybody your time but also it does feel a bit like he took advantage of this guy who really likes him and has very unhealthy ways of explaining that he likes him and just ditched him I honestly just read Ronan (laughs) as like he is not seeing what's coming he is just so oblivious when it comes to this 
Like, he does yeah. not understand how significant this was for Kavinsky. <laughs> yeah. It's the Mad Men meme yet again. Rona's like, I don't think about you at all. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's getting this revenge on Kavinsky, who has occupied a significant amount of his brain for a long time. I feel like there was this moment where if he hadn't wrecked the Camaro, then he probably would have kept up in this, like, dance. But having to go through this, like, I don't know. It's like a chicken pox party where they, they used to bring kids to chicken. It's like he did this for Kavinsky and he got so inundated with Kavinsky that he's like saturated now. And he's like, okay, it's all in my system. It's done. It's like he binged him and then was finished. So like the enticing <laughs> bits are good. Do you know what I mean? Like he's. I know. It's like exactly like when you have a crush on someone and then you spend a lot of time with them and you're like, oh Lord, what was I thinking? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you are not as attractive as I thought you were from a distance. Usually it's before you started talking, you were so cute. <laughs> and you started talking and now you're not. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it just feels a bit like Kavinsky had been doing this slow burn. Yeah, like from Kavinsky's point of view, it's like slow burn, 300,000K. Enemies to lovers. <laughs> Enemies to lovers. And Ronan was like, oh, no, this is the fling before I uh, meet my one true love. <laughs> this is like different fanfic entirely. Yeah, yikes. So, like, Kavinsky being vengeful, not knowing where to put his anger, not knowing how to process negative emotions, is absolutely going to go for revenge. And all of that is being, like, shown. We're getting the, the seeds of that planted now. Where And he straight up tells Ronan, I'm going to, yeah. you know, ruin your life. I'm going to burn you down. He says it twice. Yeah. And Ronan's still like, ha, 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 what a lad. <laughs> yeah. Running you moron. Pay attention. He's just so euphoric that he got the car for Gansey. He's just And he also genuinely thinks he has nothing to lose and this is his biggest mistake. Like he's gonna realize I act like I don't care, but I care about a lot of stuff. Yeah, there are some people that he very much protects constantly and like everybody can tell who it is. A little bit of yikes there. So those like I said, those were the two obvious ones. I did find it a little hard to read about revenge because so much of this was about connection. I just ended up focusing Mm -hmm. on that. Ronan was dreaming of his dad. He was connecting back to the legacy, connecting to what he knows of himself. I love that line on page 370 where, you know, Ronan says, because Nile Lynch was a forest fire, a, rise, a rising sea, a car crash, a closing curtain, a blistering symphony, a catalyst with planets inside him. And he had given all of that to his middle son. Like, that's such a beautiful, succinct mm. connection between the two of them. Later we find out that he really did give him all his feelings. Mm. You know, I feel very vindicated because I've always been very defensive of Nile Lynch. And I feel like I've been a lone voice because people keep, like to say that he was a terrible father. And I've never believed that he was a terrible father. And now I'm like, I told you, people. I told you. My whole thing is, you like, you got to give people the benefit of the doubt. They're doing the best that they know how. I will argue that I don't think that is true of Adam's parents. I think that they have become very toxic and that they have decided that it is okay to mistreat their child. But. I yeah. do think that people start out trying to do the best they can. Um, I thought the connection to Henrietta was very strong in this section as well, both for Blue and Gansey, right? Who have this really positive con- like connection to Henrietta to the point where it's the kind of beauty that always hurt. You know, it hurts them to feel like this is home. Yeah. But also how negative that connection is for Adam. Like he talks about there had to be some other place he hadn't been yet, some so- soil where the emotion wouldn't thrive. He sort of connects this anger and his trauma to Henrietta. And I think this is why he's so hell-bent on getting out of there, regardless of what common sense tells him. Yeah. 
Adam is so unfailingly logical and we see this in this section as well like when Persephone walks him through it and he's like trying to decide if this is something he has to do and he's like well there's no option not to do it like he's very logical in that decision making but he is not logical at all about his own goals and his own life yeah I I agree that's his big blind spot right that's the part of the house that he doesn't really open the door to until way later in the series way later past the end of the series actually and into the the dreamer trilogy that's when he actually finally starts to really dive into who he is and what he wants not this idea of who he should be and this this lofty goal but like a a realistic idea of who he could be and what he wants to do and who he wants which you can only see when he's willing to look inside the house that is himself to go back to your earlier metaphor absolutely look no one wants to look in their own house it's awful This is why we have therapists, because they help us open the doors and pull back the curtains and let the light in. But it's awful. It's awful. It's like it's hard to be vulnerable. And Adam knows that if he's even a little vulnerable, that will be exploited as a weakness. He can't tell Blue that it hurts that he's not the one who's wanted. So he has to be angry. And she recognizes that. Like, it's such a beautiful moment where she thinks about it later and she goes, like, could you really hold it against him if he never had anyone to hold him when he was sad? And of course, that's, the, you know, the only way he can live like that is to, to let his anger lead him. Page 372. And she thought about Adam still collapsed on their sofa downstairs. If he had no one to wrap their arms around him when he was sad, could he be forgiven for letting his anger lead him? And that is so generous. That is so much grace to give him. I just really love it. I feel like Gansey really opened the door there because he draws the connection between being able to be vulnerable, being open to that sort of connection and being loved. Yes. So Adam, you know, doesn't know what it feels like really to be loved. It's not a, it's a complicated emotion for him. And so for him, the idea of connection is completely alien and foreign. But for Gansey and for Blue, like Gansey says, you know, we're rich in love. It's easy for them to make connections because they already trust that they have that that base, that safety net to catch them. Yeah. Which is their loving family. Which is so wonderful. And I, I really enjoy that we got to see Gansey's family, like for all of their flaws, coming together to support him in something that was really important. And then we see Blue and the way that she interacts with the different women in her family. And it's just a really wonderful parallel. And I, I think it really illustrates it. It's the show and tell. You get them having this conversation about, you know, Gansey saying, but we have had love. Like we, we can take it for granted. And who has he ever had to love him? Who has ever loved Adam the way that we were loved? Yeah. It's just really insightful. And it's one of the reasons that I am forever team Gansey because I just love that he's able to see this and he learns and he grows and he changes. And he says, I used to be stupid about it. I used to think that they were just too poor for it, which is like a completely legitimate argument. Like sometimes you don't have emotional bandwidth at the end of the day if all you've done is struggle to survive. It is hard to find grace when you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, right? Mm. But he's been shown that that's not a universal thing. And he's trying to explain it to Blue that it's not... He's, he's saying, like, look, I've changed and grown. But also, like, because I've changed and grown, I can acknowledge that this is actually truly horrible and not just some weird thing about money. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot there. I just... I listened to this, like, four different times, and then I read it again twice, and then I cried, like, three times. So I've just got a lot of feelings about it. Um, Blue and her mom talking, cuddled up together... That one really hit me when I was rereading it this morning because I actually ended up climbing into my daughter's bed last night and stealing one of her pillows and like she wrapped herself around me and together we watched art restoration videos on YouTube. (laughs) So I really literally did just do this and then I was reading it and I was having a little cry about like, yeah, I hope that I still get through that when my daughter is 16 or 17 and having big feelings about all the terrible things that are happening in her too big for life life. 
it's nice to know that your mom will come through for you. Hmm. I had a little bit about Kala and the connection between oh, yeah? the Chimera Wheel and the Shield Boss. Like, she's talking about the two kings in that way. And I just want, like, I just really wanted to talk about how on page 342 she looks right at Blue and she says, have you ever felt like there's something different about you? Like, there is something more? Blue's heart jumped inside her again. Yes! Kala removed the keys to the Foxway car from her pocket. Good. Everyone should feel that way. Here, take these. You're driving home. You need the practice. <laughs> I love that. Sets her up. Because <laughs> yeah, both is true. Yes, you do yearn. Yes, there is something more. You are something more. But also, like, you need to do your driving lessons. <laughs> it's a very practical parenting, and it made me laugh. Cal is great. She's good value. Absolutely. Did you have anything else for connection or revenge? No, the only thing I noticed, and this is more a connection that I made, is that, you know, Adam is talking to Persephone. Persephone being, you know, Persephone. And then he wakes up from his 21 hours sleep. Also, poor Adam. No one even acknowledges his birthday, but never mind. And he goes into the kitchen, drinks four glasses of pomegranate juice. And I'm like, pomegranates? Persephone? Death! Yep. Because I've got this thing against I won't eat pomegranates because I read that myth too young. I know. Even though I know the pomegranate is actually not the relevant thing. The point is that Persephone went into the underworld and she ate something and she wasn't supposed to eat anything. Could have been anything. But I have just developed a uh, dislike of pomegranates as a result. I'm like, I ain't eating no pomegranates. <laughs> I think that was it for me. I think I covered everything. I just had a lot of feelings. That's fair. Do you have any tangential? Yeah. I felt like the bit where they're driving up the mountain on page 361, the headlights only illuminated as far as the next turn. That felt true to me for Adam's adam's journey as well he didn't really know where that drop of water was going to lead him he could only go one level at a time Mm. so i thought that was a really interesting parallel and i don't know if cave's water is like subtly negging him by saying you are unknowable but i also felt like it was really true in a fundamental sense that we are all unknowable and as close and as intimate as our relationships are like ultimately we are unique discrete people and we will never fully inhabit the consciousness of anyone else and that can be a lonely Mm. feeling sometimes so that was the only other thing. You can only see the world through your own perspective and you it's only an interpretation. You have no idea how other people see the world. And we can try to communicate what we feel and what we see. But even that's just an interpretation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that was it. I, again, wrote down like half the book, so. I thought another nice juxtaposition for Adam was, you know, when he turns up at Fox Way and we get that chapter from his perspective and he's saying no time, no time. I love that juxtaposition with Kala and the circular time comment literally in the previous chapter. Like this pulling up of time is circular, you know, time goes around and around and Adam just being there's no time. Like he feels so rushed. Also, I just want to say like Blue being like, she was skeptical of mainstream journalism. This reads differently in the year of our Lord 2022. (laughs) Boy, doesn't it? Oh, man. I was like, what are you skeptical of? If there, this is not like conspiracy theory stuff. This is people saying there have been break-ins. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah, and also, like, Adam not really knowing, you know, was he really here or was it a dream? Page 353, obviously massive connection to the way that Ronan lives his life. Yeah. I loved when Gansey's in the car with Blue and he pulls himself out and, he, you know, she sees he seizes the roof to pull himself out faster. And I just love that throwback to when Gansey was with Ronan and Ronan says that's the most dangerous Gansey. That's his favorite Gansey. Mm. And we see him with Blue being like that. I just love that. It's great. Great little throwback. That's a, that's a really good catch. That is true. I just love that moment because he's looking at her and he's like, I got to get out of here, man. I got to get out of this car. Like, things are happening. I can't do this. Like, he is so switched on he knows exactly what's going on and it's the same motivating factor because the reason he was acting so reckless with Ronan is because he just had that engagement with 
Blue, right? Like he was already feeling fired up because mm. of that connection with Blue. So he goes out and he's reckless with Ronan. Yeah. And Ronan's like, this is my favorite Gansy. And now we see that again. Like she again triggers that in him. That recklessness, that child, like that freeness that he doesn't have yeah. any other time. The lack of restraint. Yeah. I love it. I love that she picks love. Like I love on page 366, she says he's going to die. This is going to hurt. But she touched his neck right where his hair was cut evenly above the collar of his shirt. Like she knows and she's still like, oh, I can't not. Like, yeah, I love that. Live your life, girl. Do it. I mean, don't kiss him and kill him. But like, live your life. Love who you love. They're lucky that it's not like the pushing daisies curse where they can't even touch. I'm just saying, could be worse, people. What a show. Highly recommend. We were robbed. Robbed. Where's our movie? You know, because of Pushing Daisies, I sat through way too many seasons of Marcella. We should have a movie where it's like, you know, them in the future. And then we can have like current day Lee Pace being smoky and hot. Yes. Not that he wasn't hot back then, but the man is aging like fine wine. He looks incredible. I mean, he was like ultimate dorky tall guy back then. But now he's like thirst trap hot DILF territory for sure. Dilf meaning yeah. dad I'd like to feed. I would like to cook for this man, just so we're clear okay, for our younger sure, sure, sure. younger listeners. Sure. <clears throat> okay, sure. So when I tell everybody that's what it means, somebody you want to feed. <laughs> that's deeply awkward. <laughs> I'm a Kritzen lady. Oh goodness. So funny. Um, did you have anything else for tangential marginalia? Nah, that's everything. Awesome. How about in depth? Yeah, so my in-depth is when Blue and Gansey are in the car and they are having a chat at cross-purposes a lot of the time. But, you know, as you've mentioned before, like, Gansey's quite good at just saying to Blue, that's not what I mean. And she's quite good at, like, just shutting up and letting him finish. But they're talking about college and she's saying that she doesn't even think she can go to community college, right? Like, that's the implication that she can't even afford that. And he's like, oh, there's scholarships for that. He's doing that. Oh, there's a a way around that. And on page 363, she says, either I'm an idiot or I'm not Gansey. Make up your mind. Either I'm clever enough to have researched this myself and be eligible for scholarships or I'm too stupid to have considered the options and I can't get a scholarship anyway. The theme, I don't know. It's not really revenge, but I guess... You, it's making someone else feel bad for saying something that hurt you in a way. So yeah. I guess you could read that as petty revenge, um, and connection because she's drawing she's drawing connections to what he said, which is probably not what he meant. Like it's not what he meant, right? But yeah, he's coming from a genuine I, desire of wanting to understand and help, but deeply annoying. <laughs> yeah. And I one hundred percent relate with her because this <laughs> is something that drives me up. The wall. Nothing 100%. will get me from zero to a hundred faster than someone suggesting I do something that I have obviously already considered. Because what are you saying? Like, I'm not an idiot. Of course, I've considered this. Why do you think this is helpful? It makes me wild. Like, I lose all sense of time <laughs> and space and I just become the worst version of myself. And especially someone like Gansey, especially if it's a man, especially if it's a well-to-do man who has come from privilege. Mm. Mate, I will eviscerate you. <laughs> so I just like really felt for Blue in this moment. Yeah. I thought she was actually quite restrained because I would have probably army rolled out of the car and then <laughs> shredded his tires. Um, but, you know, power to her. I think going forward, like this is impossible, but I'm going to say it. Like just accept that some people are trying to be nice and they're trying to come from a good place and... It is good for us to practice patience, but when you're already hurting and you're already frustrated and you're already losing something, like she, this is something she wants, something she's considered, something she knows she can't have, to then have someone try and come over the top and tell you how to do it, it is incredibly hard to take. Mm-hmm. And I think people need to stop trying to solve other people's problems, stop offering solutions. It's incredibly annoying. Like, just try and meet people where they are first. 
before you just come out swinging with like, oh, well, have you considered this? Just maybe assume that they have and just like chill for a second. Yeah, that is echoed beautifully when at 300 Fox Wave where they're talking in the kitchen about Adam and they're sort of saying, well, we should have done it sooner, but he needed to accept it first. Like this is exactly that conversation. Yeah. When Blue is ready to like talk to Gansy about this, it's going to be a different conversation, but she's not ready now. Because whatever he can offer is not something that she could accept right now. But he's also not offering anything useful. Yeah. Like to be like, oh, have you considered scholarships? She has. Yeah. She's considered her future. I don't know. There has to be a different way of doing it. Because you're coming from a place of hurt. You're coming from a place of loss where you already feel like you can't have the solution you want. When someone then comes with a solution that you've obviously already considered and ruled out. It just reminds you of what you can't have. And there needs to be a middle ground where people don't do that where you just I don't know maybe it is just like that whole thing about asking you know are you in a venting space or are you in a solution space do you want to talk about it maybe it is just opening with that rather than just coming in with a solution because I realize that Gansey is a helper and he wants to be helpful yeah for sure. but that doesn't stop the fact that it is hurtful yeah it does feel insulting to your intelligence I mean I am a problem solver and I love a puzzle so when people come to me and they're like oh I have this problem I'm like oh good something for me to solve and it's not that I need my friends to take my advice but I do often fall into that Gansey trap of like I will come up with a solution and like sometimes I just like figuring it out for myself but then if you don't tell anybody did it ever get solved (sighs) but yeah you know that and you love me anyway and I appreciate that about you I mean I do often tell you that I (laughs) I don't want a solution but thank you thank you but stop and I'm like oh Oh, I did it again. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it's worse in this moment. Like, it's it's worse because she want, it's something she wants. Yeah. It's something she, she feels like something that hurts her. So I just... She's being very vulnerable about it. It's worse than just getting a solution to something that is like a minor annoyance. But anyway. um, Did you have any in-depth marginalia? Yeah. Um, I'm in the same... Like in a similar part of the text, I'm on page 366. Blue is saying to herself, he's going to die. This is going to hurt. But she touched his neck right where his hair was cut evenly above the collar of his shirt. He was very still. His skin was hot and she could very, very faintly feel his pulse beneath her thumb. It wasn't like when she was with Adam. She didn't have to guess what to do with her hands. They knew. This was what it should have felt like with Adam. Less like play acting and more like a foregone conclusion. So the context is, Gansey and Blue are no longer skating around the fact that they really, really like each other. They are officially Mm. having a moment. I really just couldn't pull any revenge out of this. Uh, I think I said earlier that I think Gansey is worried that anything that they do to move forward could be construed as like hurting Adam on purpose. And Mm. that might fall into that category so that like he shies away from it for that reason. So that's about as close as I can get to that. But I do want to talk about the connection aspect. Blue and Gansey both want something more. They're both yearners. They both Mm. kind of live apart in this way that, you know, Gansey's out of time and Blue is not entirely of this earth, I think. And, you know, we've said from the first book in the series that Blue is the best of all the boys. And I maintain that this is true. But she and Gansey together bring out the best in each other. They connect because they're both fundamentally yearning for more. And they don't think of that as a failing or a fault in each other. Like they acknowledge it and they understand that it hurts to want something more or to love something so much and neither of them really wants to hurt anyone or themselves or anyone else I just really love that they're able to like live inside that and acknowledge that connection and acknowledge that it hurts to love that much what it reminds me of in other texts uh first I know you're not a fan of Fleabag but there's a part in Fleabag where she's walking behind the hot priest and she says his perfect neck and I completely loved that. And it reminded me of when she, when Blue touches the back of Gansey's head and like 
it's just a lovely thing. Like my son got a haircut on Friday and I just was like, I need to touch it. It's so soft because it is really soft when a boy gets a haircut. It's like nice. It's just really nice. But, you know, like aside from the, the, the perfect neck thing, it's it's not about the neck, right? It's about the person that you are into and the way that like their neck is suddenly really beautiful and it's more perfect because it's theirs. And also, I wanted to say that that show was about choosing a bigger love than just a romantic love, which brings me to my other text, which is a Christmas romance that I read this week on a recommendation from my friend Anne. Hello, Anne. Uh, It's called Once Upon a December. It's entirely fluffy and romantic, but there's this really unexpected twist in the romance novel where the main character does not choose the relationship. She actually chooses her three best friends instead, and she still gets a happily ever after. Like, it's still a romance novel. But there's this consciousness in, in this book, which you don't often see in a romance, where love is one kind of love it's not better or more important than the other kinds and I love that and this really dovetails for me the way that Blue and Gansey feel about their friendship and the group as well like they're into each other but they're not gonna break the group because they like each other they're just going to like each other and it's something there's something really Mm. beautiful about it and I also wanted to just point out that there isn't this question of boundaries because they are able to sort of intuit each other's boundaries really well which I'm all for the conversation about consent but sometimes it's nice when you're with someone who just they get it like Gansey knows where to stop he knows what to do he knows what not what not to do and he'll still like verbally say like I wasn't going to kiss you even if they can't kiss I just love their relationship Hmm. for going forward I just want to bask in all the love I have in my life all the different forms that I have and I also want to remember that like the reason that Gansey and Blue can have these great connections is because they're so rich in support so it just makes me feel like really affirmed that like all I want to do for my kids is make sure that they're wealthy in love Oh, how lovely. That was my in-depth. It's a great sentiment. It's my vocation, my calling. Yeah. Aside from writing love stories. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who did you want to spotlight this week? I am spotlighting, same as last week, I'm spotlighting Adam. I Mm. really, really feel for Adam. I think he is just going through a lot. He is so unfailingly logical and he is just, can't see the forest for the trees, you know? Yeah. I've really, really appreciated Adam's journey in this book as we've been reading it in a way that I haven't before. I just, I'm, I weirdly, I'm very team Adam. I feel like everyone else is just willfully misunderstanding him and not meeting him where he is and where he needs to be and not giving him what he needs. And I just, I think for everyone who feels like they, they desperate for connection, but they don't know how to ask for it or how to accept it, you know, it's hard and... I'm just sending you love and light, really. That's beautiful. I'm also Team Adam. I I understand how hard it, it is to read him, especially when he touches a nerve. I think a lot of people who read Adam back in the day, and even now, maybe they're hurting about things and they're not able to get through it. And that's why they're not able to love him the way that they should. He's very lovable. Yeah. He's just as deserving as anyone else. Um, Who would you like to spotlight this week? I'm going to spotlight Blue. She's being, she's having a rough time. Like she's had to break up with Adam. She didn't want to hurt him. She feels like she made a huge mistake, but she, instead of, instead of doing what I think I would have done, which is like, oh, he got really angry and I'm annoyed at that. Like she, she could have fallen into self-righteous anger, but instead she chose to look at it with grace. She chose to take herself out of it, talk with someone who also cares about him, sort herself out let herself be vulnerable a bit and came to a much better place and she offers support right after their fight she offers to go with them in the reading room which I think is a very underrated moment between the two of them Mm, because she is saying to him we are friend friends first and that's what she's offering and look I also want to commend her for backing down when she could have used her righteous anger to 
create distance with Gansey. The fact that she was able to kind of let herself be vulnerable was really beautiful. She let their connection bloom and she knows it'll hurt, but she let it bloom. So just all the love for Blue this week. She's very generous, isn't she? Yeah, she's the best of all of them. Yeah. All right. Next week, we'll be reading chapters 54 to 59 through the theme of integrity, which should be interesting. Yeah, be very interesting to see how we go in this. Yeah, and I will be in my new house, so hopefully I'm in a state to record. Exciting. I am so excited for you. And it's almost your birthday as well, which is just even better. It's going to be great. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your packing and busy weekend to pod with me. I really appreciate it. And I love you. I'm so glad we get this time together. Yeah, me too. It's Thank you for doing it a bit later than usual. I appreciate that. Anytime. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginalia Pod on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com. 